Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everyone, for a fun episode of the Alt Left. Uh, this one, we are taking another week off because uh, I don't know. Matt sucks. He's uh, decided having children is somehow important to his life. I don't know why kids aren't that important. Yeah, oh, I want to be a good dad. Dude, my dad was terrible. Look how amazing I turned out. And Kay's dad is great. And look how how much he sucks. So that is also just, true. Let's just be real. Dads don't matter. Um, and neither does Matt. So we screw that guy. He's dead to me until next week. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so we're giving him another break off. I was actually a guest this last week on Between the Liars podcast. It's the podcast from Ryan, the um, the libertarian we had on a little while back. So I joined him and uh, and a friend of his who's a writer on Toilet Paper USA. And we uh, had a good debate about voting and immigration and dreamers and reality. So I hope you enjoy it. It was... Uh, it was interesting. It was definitely the opposite of what it was when Ryan was here. Um, I was definitely the girl on the couch in that browser's photo. It was definitely two on one. But it was good. We kept it civil. It was nice. And uh, I hope you guys like it. All right. Hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan. And I am joined by two very special guests today. We have Joe Bob and we have Chris. How's it going, guys? They they nodded for those who are on our non-video audience. Uh, all right, uh, let's start with Chris. Chris is from the Alt Left podcast. Chris, why don't you give us a little pitch about uh, your background there and where they can find your show? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, the Alt Left podcast. We are a delightful little echo chamber. We are a <laughs> communist, a progressive, and a liberal who basically kind of argue about the nuance on the left, and we take politics and news from a, a leftist perspective. So there is no. F- fighting about left or right on our show, which makes it a little less interesting, I think. But it's really good if you're into the divisions of one side. We really take deep dives into historical and political stuffs from a leftist perspective. Best place to find us, honestly, is on Twitter at the Alt Left Pod. So it's just at the Alt Left Pod. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, that kind of thing. But our link tree's on our Twitter. Easiest way to find us anywhere. And we broadcast everywhere you can get a podcast. And I actually met Chris through a random solicitation. I sent him a message and was like, hey, if you ever want to have someone with a diverse viewpoint on there. I'd love to come on. We had a great discussion and you can check that out. And Joe Bob is the Ooh. host of the Daily Caller Live. Yeah, Chris, I, this is that's like great. I hadn't read your Twitter thing. That seems like a fascinating conversation. I probably would disagree on some policy things, but like I feel like the right needs to do that sort of thing if they don't already kind of have like the varying perspectives of uh, different nuances within their side. But anyways, yeah, sorry. Seems super <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, so I, I host the Daily Caller live show, uh, which is just a morning talk show-ish thing. I don't really even know what to compare it to. I just kind of sit here in my little uh, studio area and rant for 30 minutes about the news and what's going on. <laughs> on and uh, I tend to have a pretty libertarian perspective about things. You know, social issues are less important to me in particular in terms of how I take things and uh, generally talk about money being spent at the federal <laughs> level. So that's kind of what I do. I also uh, am a contributor over at TPUSA, Turning Point USA, and make jokes about the news. That's uh, that's my take here. I, I mostly just make jokes about the news. There's a bunch of serious people talking about news all the time, and that's great if you want that sort of thing. I'm, I'm kind of a lighter-hearted, you know, we're going to have 
fun. There are serious issues to be talked about, but you know, you doom and gloom every day and nobody, nobody ends up happy. So yeah, that's that's what I do. I appreciate you having me. Oh, also really, really quick, Joe Bob, J-O-B-O-B. -O -B. Uh, one grandparent was Joe, the other one was Bob. My parents YOLO'd and made junior high miserable. So <laughs> I was wondering where that came from because that is probably one of yeah. the more unique names I've seen. Uh, yeah. I, I also randomly came across Joe Bob on TikTok of all places. Oh, and wow. I was like, he's got a link to his Instagram. I'll shoot him a DM, see if he's ever interested in coming on. And lo and behold, here we are. So this will probably be one of the more diverse conversations we've had, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, today, we're going to discuss more aspects of voting legislation, just like two episodes ago. Yeah, they had a nice little sandwich of... Uh, Josh and I <laughs> took an easy week and just talked about uh, what's wrong and what's good with college education. And now we're back to what we didn't get to cover for things with voting legislation because they've had H.R. 1, the For the People Act, you've had the Freedom to Vote and John Lewis Writing Acts, Advancement Acts, which all of them are basically attempting to loosen or federalize voting regulations and rules. We're going to unpack some of the specifics, I think, and then we'll just kick it off with, I guess, a discussion question. So I'll kick it to you two. Recently, New York allowed their non-citizens to be able to vote in the local elections. Obviously, because of state and federal laws, they cannot vote for like your state legislator or the president, but they are allowing them to vote at the local level. And I'm curious if you guys think that that's a good or a bad idea. You want to take that first, Chris? Sure, why not? So my thing is, uh, again, and, and, and Ryan said that perfectly, they, they do not get to elect federal politicians at all. This measure only applies, first of all, to legal residents that are permanent residents. These are people holding green cards. These are dreamers. My grandmother was one of these. Um, mm -hmm. She came over to the United States, married my grandfather and her mother made her promise her on her deathbed she wouldn't become an American. She was British. And so she was a permanent resident alien, couldn't vote. She was a Republican, uh, but could not vote. And that always drove her nuts, but she kept to it. And I think that's the kind of people this is aimed at. This is not for people fleeing into the city randomly to swing elections. These are people who live in New York, spend their lives there. They are citizens. And most importantly, they're taxpayers. If we're going to say there is no taxation without representation, I think it is fair, especially being that half the taxes they pay are federal anyway, at least for their like, this is again, this is local races. This is city council, borough presidents, right? This is local stuff in the community they live. And I think if we're going to have a nation that does not have open borders, does not make immigration easy like it used to, New York used to be an open door where show up, you know, say what's up to the Statue of Liberty, go through Ellis Island for processing, change your name to something American sounding and you're in. That was it. That was the end of the story. And now it takes decades and massive amounts of funds, huge legal hoops. So if we're going to let people live here and pay taxes, I believe they at least, I, th I don't think it's bad that we're letting these people, again, these are not random people showing up at the shores. These are people who live here, are registered here, have careers here, pay taxes here. If they want to have a slight say in things like borough president and city council, I actually think that's fair. Hmm. What about you, Joe Bob? Dude, so I think this is good conversation because I feel like there is definitely common ground. From a 30,000 foot view, it's a slippery slope to me, uh, letting people vote who aren't residents here. But to hit on a point that you brought up, which is a good point, I think the bigger problem is how freaking long it takes for people to become citizens. There's a guy I go to church with who's from Uganda, hardworking dude, like fantastic family. He's the type of person we want as an American citizen. It took him 17 years to get his wife and kids from Uganda to the United States. Now, regardless of your like, political background, and regardless of what he thinks, I probably disagree with him politically on things, but he is a hardworking contributor to society, and it took, again, 17 years to get his family here and become a citizen that can actually vote in our elections. So I think this seems like a very small band-aid to try and cover up a bigger problem that is the bureaucracy that slows down the immigration system in our country. If 
Personally, I don't think this is a great idea because of where it could lead and all that sort of stuff. I understand the reasoning behind it, but I think if we fix the bigger problem that is the jumbled up bureaucratic nonsense that is the immigration system, which I think we can all agree should be fixed, then we don't even, this isn't even really an issue because it's just not relevant because people that have come here and uh, are contributing to society can vote because they're citizens now and because we, we welcome people that are going to come and contribute to the society that we all are trying to better constantly. So w- would you say that you would be in favor of something like people who come to this country, obviously like, you know, there's there's a there's a background scan on that kind of thing. Make sure you're not some crazy serial killer, right? And you come in, you get a visa and like you spend a year or two naturalizing, working, getting ready to pass a citizen test that you should just be kind of allowed through at that point, right? As long as you can pass the citizenship test and you can live here for a small amount of time, a year, six months, two years, whatever, and you work, you pay taxes, you're a responsible mm-hmm. citizen, that should kind of open open up an automatic pathway to citizenship? Because if that's the case, then I would be totally in favor of not having a measure like this. Yeah, well, if you're looking at it from a, now, there's obviously a lot of nuances into that pathway. Like, who gets in? How do they get in? Do we stop other people? We can't let everybody in, so what? where do we draw the line? Those nuances aside, if somebody comes here in a legal route, and again, I would personally like to streamline that. But yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. Like, come here, be, my, my dad's an immigrant, and I watched throughout my my childhood, him wrestle with the immigration system and finally be able to vote when I was in like high school. He'd been here, geez, since he was six or seven years old. Like that's crazy. Like, and again, regardless of the politics of people who are coming in to vote, if people are coming in the right and legal way, we are welcoming to them and we always should be welcoming to them. And I don't think we should penalize people who are doing it the right way by making it 15, 20, 30 years before they can be become citizens and vote. So in that respect, yeah, like if we streamline that process, let people who are going to come in and work hard and contribute to our society work towards citizenship. Yeah, like this law seems unnecessary. Again, zoom out. The bigger picture seems to be, feels like we agree on this, that the federal government needs to freaking do something about the immigration system and solidify it in a way that makes sense and isn't so bogged down by nonsense. This is great because all three of us overlap on the idea that it needs to be reformed. Yeah. I I agree with Joe, Bob, that I think that the principle of allowing people to vote who are not citizens and they don't have that stake becomes problematic and can potentially lead to issues down the road, especially if it's allowing them to vote, let's say, in the future, state, Mm -hmm. federal levels. I also think that it takes way too long to allow people to become citizens. If we reform that, then I think, again, this bill becomes redundant. The big issue with this specific one that I have is that they only have to be there for 30 days. Yeah. So to me, I think that that undercuts uh, your point earlier, Chris, about, you know, they're not just coming to... To, you know, to just sway elections, because with that short of a period, I think we could see that. Are we? No, not at the moment. But well, I, I think that that could it's lead residents to for 30 days to vote in like that city council region to be in that right. voting district. That's not the only requirement to apply for this, though. You have to have a permanent residency already. You can't just hmm. you can't just jump huh. off a plane okay. and 30 days be here. You have to already have a green card or be one of the dreamers. Like, oh, they, they are required. OK, residency. then that's OK. That's a but good. But if you want to like vote in District 7 or whatever, you have to right. lived in District 7 for 30 days, like have a gas bill and that kind of thing. And, and I don't think people are just flooding to sway your city council election either. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but what were you going to say earlier, Chris? I want to give that oh, back I was going to ask Joe. Joe Bob had a, had, a, had a, I wasn't expecting this much agreement from the three of us. So <laughs> yeah. I guess that kind of led me on to something like the dreamers. You know, we're talking about people who have come here in good faith. I find a lot of pushback. On, again, the right is the one who holds back the dreamers act and stops dreamers mm. from being citizens. These are people who were born outside our borders, but have been here since they were in diapers and have spent their entire 
lives here. And again, these are people who have clean criminal records, people who are working, paying taxes, being responsible citizens. Why aren't we? I can't think of a better way. Uh, you can't. I don't. How do you have a more legitimate way of proving that you can exist in a society when you've spent your entire life there and kept your nose clean and done what you're supposed to do? Totally, Chris. I'm not sure which uh, role you play with the progressive, the communist, and the liberal. Wh which one is it? I'm, I'm oh, curious. I'm, uh, I'm the commie. I am as left as it okay. gets, my friend. Mostly, <laughs> okay. actually. Right now, we're talking about the nuance, though. I have a, I have a couple right wing beliefs. <laughs> I got you. Okay. I was just curious. In, in terms of right, DACA is put into place uh, what a decade ago from uh, the Obama administration, and it allows people who, like you say, are now labeled as dreamers. That again seems like a band aid to a bigger problem. If you have everything legalized and you have everything streamlined, you don't have that DACA situation. One of my best friends, guy in my wedding, is a DACA kid, and again, watching him go through the process is absolutely insane. He is a contributor to society. He pays taxes. We don't really talk politics, so I don't really know where he stands on things. But a phenomenal dude who who participates in the American experiment. That being said, it's my understanding, and I, if I remember correctly, this is what now five years ago, there was some legislation in the federal government in which the the Trump administration had nat, just pathway to citizenship for all the DACA people in return for higher border security or quote unquote the wall. And if I if my memory serves me correct, I believe Pelosi shot it down. And this is now a political thing of like, yeah. it's easier to use DACA as a political weapon than to actually give them what they want. If that's the compromise made at the federal level of like, okay, legalize all the DACA people, but also sure up the border and have a system that works. I I'm inclined to be okay with that just because we've got like, Obviously, this is a problem we don't want to have to have, but since we've kind of laxed everything the last, you know, 30, 40 years, uh, and we have this problem, if that's the compromise on the table, I'm inclined to accept that, uh, again, with the trade-off being, you know, people that are here and contributing to society, paying taxes, all that, fine, like, let them stay, but shut the thing down until we get some sort of regimented process that works. Does that answer why your did, question, kind of? I guess my question is, why does it need a pound of flesh? Like, why do we need a compromise? Why do we need a caveat to allow people who have spent their lives here, who are taxpaying, contributing members of mm -hmm. society, why are we saying, well, okay, we will grant you citizenship if we get blank? Like, wh why does there need to be a sale? Why can't, why can't we do both, I guess, is my question mark, because pushing yeah. DACA forward to pathway for instant citizenship is a simple act of legislation. The mm -hmm. Senate could pass it like that. It would be instantaneous. You can mm -hmm. grant them citizenship and we can also work on solving our border crisis. And I don't know why it always has to be one or the other. I think the left wants something and the right wants something. And in the same way that the left wouldn't just give the right money for a border wall, like it, it, they would probably not, the right wouldn't do the same for DACA because it's not their priority. But why don't they? Why doesn't the right want DACA? Because again, DACA sounds like perfect <laughs> compromise of left and right. Like This is a legal, great pathway to good citizens. This isn't a flood of people who aren't Americanized, who haven't assimilated into the culture. These are people who spent their lives here. Like, this seems like what the right should be dreaming about in terms of immigration. <laughs> Chris, are you asking why is the federal government broken? <laughs> 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 that's, 
seems like a bigger question to me. Again, I, I don't think we're I don't think we're super far off. Sorry, quick little tangent. I think the polarized sides of the political aisle are so much more in agreement than obviously the media wants to give attention to, or some of your super super extremes want to give attention to. But Chris, I would ask you if that was on the table of like, all right, let's figure out this border situation, and people use the term the wall, but let's just say border security as a as a whole. So we're not having 175,000 people come across a month like we've had for the last year. In return, we make a pathway to citizenship for DACA kids. If that were on the table, would you accept that? It would depend. And again, I think there's a lot of new Again, and, and we could spend six <laughs> yeah. hours going into that, obviously. Yeah, I know that's yeah, not what yeah, yeah, going totally. for here. Uh-huh. The problem is, with in terms of border security, well, what are we talking about? Because do I think that borders need to be regulated? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fine. But border regulation left or right looks very different. You know, border regulation left is checkpoints and open access with security checkpoints, whereas right, it's a wall in concentration camps. And by the way, I know you're going to catch on this one. Yes, Obama built those concentration <laughs> camps, but I don't consider Obama a leftist. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Ob- Obama is just a right winger <laughs> with a D slapped in front of his name. Obama deported more people than any president in U.S. history. A lot of things that are laid at the feet of Trump were things Obama did. But why does it need to be that? Because it's like, imagine I'm walking by your car and it's on fire and I'm holding a bucket of water that I'm not going to use anyway. And you're like, hey, would you mind pouring that on my engine block my car's on fire i'm like okay but you better buy me well, lunch and it's like i'd be happy to buy you lunch but does it need to be a transaction Can you just do it because it's easy and it's the right thing to do and costs you damn near nothing one of the things that i think you're pointing out chris is that you know they're from like an ideological standpoint like sure like we could do both i think from the pragmatic application what our government does or doesn't do both parties want something and if we're all in agreement here that the two issues here are one citizenship is difficult and two the border security needs to be tackled then like i don't really know why we would need to separate those and why striking that type of a deal and saying, yes, we will pass both of these will be problematic. Like, I know that from, you know, just because they should be able to, sure, like, I'd, I'd agree with you on that, but... I think it, both parties don't want it. That's the thing. Is, and is, that does is, perpetuate this theatrics. The Democrats don't actually give a shit about the DACA kids. The Democrats are doing it just to shut up yeah. their liberal base. Yeah. They don't actually care. And you think Donald Trump gave a shit about the DACA kids? No, Donald Trump wanted a wall, and he didn't even want a wall because he cared about the border. Just like Biden wanted his Build Back Better agenda, Trump wanted his wall. It's the same thing. It's an ego project to say, I got something accomplished. And it was literally, all you saw there with DACA and the border wall was a dick measuring contest between Pelosi and Trump. That's all it was. <laughs> it highlights one of the key issues with our government is that you become an obstructionist because by principle, you have to stop the other party. Chris, I think, again, we probably would agree immigration could get solved pretty dang easily. I think if you get smart people from both sides in a room for a week, you can solve it. But the political class don't want to solve it. The, the people on the left want illegal immigration because they think they'll get votes in the future. And the people on the right, the big business and factory owners, want the cheap labor. It's bad all the way around. So, like, I think we'd probably be in pretty pretty close agreement that if you put smart people, put 20 people on the left, 20 people on the right in a room for a week, they can figure it out. But so a wedge issue is never meant to be solved. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So so it's just meant to bring in votes. It's meant to bring in opposition votes. And so I then think you're completely right. From, yeah. from a principle standpoint then, what do we think should be the determining factor for who gets to vote? Because you can apply this to felons, which will be our next question, or you can apply it to those voting in local elections. What do you both think should be the standard for someone to be 
able to vote. I think if we're going to force people to pay taxes, they get a right to vote. Okay. Joe Bob, what's your standard? Again, from a 30,000 foot standpoint, like, yeah, it's, that's a that's a hard thing to argue against. The bigger problem is solving all of the other things that lead to the inability to vote. Which is that fair. that makes sense. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. So, so you you would rather address, and this is how we got off on the immigration, you would rather address that issue and then bring it over into... I think we would both want to address that. I think right. everybody wants to address that issue. Which like, is fair. Freaking just fix the immigration system. <laughs> like the left wants to do it, the right wants to do it. Just freaking fix the thing. And then we have no, there are no issues with voting laws of who gets to vote because it's easily viewable, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm a crazy person because nobody else <laughs> says this sort of thing. Well, welcome to our show. <laughs> where <laughs> We have three people from different points on the political spectrum who have found some common ground, which is great. So maybe, maybe yeah. this question will spark a little bit more nuance or controversy then. Mm-hmm. Should felons be allowed to vote? Because they're in prison because they've violated the social contract and you do give up a certain amount of your rights. Should voting be one of those? Well, let's start with while they're in prison and then we'll move into like that rehabilitation where they aren't allowed to vote once they're out. So in prison, should felons be allowed to vote? I think you just kind of said what my thought on that <laughs> is. Like if, you know, we have a social contract and we have rules that are agreed upon by everybody that's democracy or republic, whatever you want to call it. That's how our system works is everybody agrees on a set of rules. And if you break those rules, you lose certain rights for a period of time. And people will say, well, you're taking away rights. Well, yeah, putting in someone in prison is also taking away their rights. So that's not really a good standard to measure which you can actually be able to vote in prison. Not to jump that far ahead, but then once they're out and they've served their time and they've paid their debt to society, uh, it would be odd to not let people vote. That's probably where I stand. And I would imagine that the majority of Americans would probably be around that area too. Yeah, I think, again, I think all three of us are probably going to agree on the rehabilitation part. I think all of us agree that once someone has served their debt to society, they should have a complete and total restoration of rights. Obviously within reason, if someone has committed multiple acts of murder, like, yeah, they probably shouldn't have access to firearms. But like within reason, obviously people should have their rights restored once they've paid their debt to society. But I would counter, and this is where we're going to disagree. I actually do think people should be allowed to vote in prison. And the reason why is we do not believe in a complete taking away of all their rights. Mm. Prisoners lose some rights. Prisoners lose their right to travel, right? Prisoners lose their right to personal property. They lose their right to unlawful search and seizure. Like they do lose certain rights. They lose the right to freedom of speech, but they don't lose their right to practice religion. That's protected. They don't lose their right to a council and to the judicial system. That's protected. They don't lose their right to humane treatment. That's protected. So it's like, we don't say that when you're a prisoner, you have no rights. We say when you're a prisoner, there are several rights you lose. And those are there for common sense reasons. You can't have a, well, he has a right to unlawful search and seizure. Well, no, because you're in a prison cell. Right. Like, you can't do that. You can't have a right to private and personal property <laughs> in a prison environment. It doesn't work. Now, I'm kind of anti-prison. I think prison should be a place where only horrible, violent offenders go. I don't believe drug offenders and anything like that should be in there. And that's kind of the other problem is we have guys who are literally losing their rights to vote for ridiculous crimes. But on top of that, again, if you are in prison, you are subject to the authority of the state. The federal and state governments have decided you are now a ward of the state and they are determining your fate. And part of that is things like electing judges, electing DAs, electing presidents and Senate representatives. And while you're in prison, your representatives still represent you. And if we are going to have people who are subjected to the authority of the government, they still deserve a say in who represents them. So, no, I actually don't believe that the right to vote should ever be taken away with the exception of someone who commits something like voter fraud. And so, Chris, I would I would agree with you that I'm going to have to have you both on at some point or another over discussions over prison reform and immigration reform. (laughs) 
then too, which is oh, great. Dude, I have thoughts. <laughs> great. Come on back. I have a couple. Uh, but where I think I'm going to disagree with Chris then is I think that when someone is in prison, let's just set the bar at like for a violent felony, right? I don't think that that person should be allowed to vote on the laws that affect people who have not violated the social contract. Your argument is fair um, to say that they're still interacting with the government, but really they've put themselves in that position because they chose to violate the social contract. And I don't think that that should be rewarded. I don't think that stripping away their right to have that representation in government is problematic while they're in prison with that caveat. I do agree with both of you that once they're out, rehabilitation needs to happen. But in prison, I do disagree because I don't think that they have shown themselves to be a good member of society, which is why they're in there in the first place. So to me, the question is then, why should they be able to vote for the rules that they've willfully broken to put them there in the first place? Hold on. Sorry. Can I interject something really quick here too? Because Chris, I think another point of agreement would be that this doesn't necessarily become that big of an issue if some of your bigger mandatory minimum rules are overhauled ever with the changing system that, that's going on. Like the libertarian side in me, you know, I, I make my own personal decisions on what I decide to do and what I decide not to do. In what world is my personal business should be cast upon other people and what they decide to do. But that in mind, given the shifting acceptance of different things, especially on different state levels, and then combating that with federal laws that enforce mandatory minimum and states that don't want that in the first place, it would seem that the slow bureaucratic change that hasn't taken place in in terms of prison reform would alleviate a lot of this argument again. Again, from a federal government gridlock, roadblocks, all that sort of stuff, that might be an agreement side there. I think in in terms of just like letting people vote while they're in prison, that it kind of just seems like a, well, you either think they should or you think they shouldn't. I happen to be on the side that like, you know, if if you've broken the societal contract, probably not, uh, shouldn't be able to vote there. That's not to say that I don't think prison reforms and mandatory minimums and sentencing can get a constant overhaul. Like, I think that should be constantly worked on. But again, it kind of just seems you know, like a, whether you think it's right or wrong. Uh, and I don't know. But I, don't, I think a lot of it, you know, the, these issues don't exist in a vacuum, right? And yeah, I think yeah. a lot of yep. this is what can you stomach? Because again, we, we stomach different impediments to our freedom all the time. Fire in a crowded theater, hate speech, that kind of thing, you know, to the First Amendment, that kind of thing, right? But when it comes to taking away rights to things like vote, like for instance, like again, no matter what, I think pretty much everyone should have a vote. But I could possibly stomach the loss of that in incarceration. That would be a give I could maybe do if we weren't running a prison police state, you know, if we didn't have the largest prison population in the world, not just numbers, but also per capita, like that's, that's insane. China and North Korea can't touch what our percentage of citizens we have in prison. Like when you look at China and go, that's a freer society in terms of incarceration, that's terrifying. And so if we didn't have poor people rotting in prison for drug possession charges for the very same drug that young white guys have started up businesses that where they're selling pot dispensaries that look like Apple stores. And it's like that that guy doesn't get to vote. And it's like, so it's like, that's why I say it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's like, okay, but just to say criminal, well, that, if we're talking about someone who, who had a possession of a rock when they were 18 years old versus someone who went out and murdered people with an ax, that's a very different violation of the social contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I could stomach that if it's like, if we're talking about violent criminals in prison, sure. If we're talking about people who made stupid decisions when they were 18 years old that didn't actually result in anyone's death or dismemberment or harm, no, I don't believe you should lose your civil rights over that. that 
that comes back to then the the whole like sentencing reform and all that stuff, yeah. which I, I, I think agree we would with you on. we would agree that it, it, it's a working system that needs to constantly be looked at and scrutinized scrutinized. I would probably have to push back on the whole China thing in North Korea. I, I think uh, not not to say that our numbers aren't big, but first thing I would say is you know we've agreed on a set of laws, and if we need more prisons to put those people who have decided to break that contract in there, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, and two, I have no we have no idea how many people in China or North Korea are in prison. It's kind of like kind of like the uh, coronavirus thing. We have no <laughs> idea how many people actually died because I don't believe any of the numbers that they put out. Self-report with an incentive. I would agree. I think that, Chris, I think you've noted a weakness and a, a, a problem within the system. And, and I can agree with you there that it, that it exists. And like, if it creates an incentive to imprison more people, then that has a weakness. But at the same time, like you mentioned, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. I think that the answer would be that these people still, when they are in prison, they're, they're repaying their debt to society. To me, part of that debt repayment would come from the stripping away of this right in particular while they're in prison, especially for, for violent things. But I, I can also agree with you, Chris, about how uh, we we need reform on a lot of these things. Like I, I don't think that there is the same weight to all crimes because there's not, which is why they're, you know, they're going to have different sentences and they're going to have different repercussions depending on whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor, etc. Yeah, I think there's definitely some nuance we disagree mm -hmm. on, but I think we, we agree on most of the major principles on that. Because most Americans agree on most things for the most part. <laughs> like, that's that's my big thing here. Like, uh, yeah, nuance-wise, yeah, there's going to be disagreements, but, like, we're not nearly as polarized as the media makes us believe. I Sorry. think we're incredibly polarized on several things, and that's the things the media likes to highlight. That's like, true. Uh, yeah, I think, I think yeah. most Americans agree on most... Joe Bob said it perfectly. Most Americans agree on most things. I think there are issues that we are incredibly divided on, yeah. mm -hmm. but I absolutely, you know, again, we have our, our news agencies are for profit, and so yes. it's a dog and pony show, and it is entertainment <laughs> more than anything. And so, yeah, they're not going to talk about the things that we agree on. They're yeah. going to talk about the things that divide us, and that's what creates views and likes and clicks and advertisement space. And they no longer have to contextualize it because, you know, yeah. you get one person who has, like, of course, you can yes. bring me a person. You can bring me a Nazi who's going to give, you know, Chris and his podcast a bunch of hate online, right? Or, you know, or anybody. Oh, they do. Where there's, where, the, <laughs> where there's, where, of course, you can find outliers. But if you actually sit down and have conversations, I really do think you guys hit it on the head that you're going to have more overlap than most people initially believe. <laughs> Go to check out their podcast for the disagreements that Chris and I did have. Absolutely. That was uh, a good one. We're, we're going to kind of touch on that again, because as we see uh, states passing laws over their individual way that they'd like to conduct their elections, you've got different arguments for what is and is not problematic. So most recently, you've seen like Georgia has passed state voting laws and Texas has had stuff on the table. To my knowledge, they haven't passed yet. But we kind of get into this idea of the states are suppressing votes has been the accusation, which is what led to the most recent bill that died on the Senate, which was trying to give the federal government control over state elections. So I'll just start broad. What do you guys think about the state voting laws? versus federal voting laws, suppressing votes, going for voter security. What do you think? I think the only thing that matters in this country is that people believe the elections. Without people believing in the democracy that we have, we have nothing. Now, and that's regardless who wins, obviously I have people who I would like to win, but regardless of who wins, the country would be more or less intact if people as a whole agree on the fact that the elections were fair and conducted fairly. In a country where nobody believes the elections, and this comes from both sides too. Hillary Clinton in 2016, I think a third of Democrats didn't believe Donald Trump's election. And then obviously you have the Trump thing going on with 2020 and still continue 
continuing. All that's to say is the only thing that actually matters is that people believe the elections. And that's where I tend to work back from of like, okay, well, if this happens, is that going to promote more belief in the election system or is that going to decrease it? And so that's kind of where I start. I'm interested to hear, Chris, where you're where you come from in terms of on the voting stuff that's going on. I think your argument earlier for DACA actually really applies. You know, kind of like this, like you were saying earlier about the New York non-citizen voting, that it's a band-aid and we need to fix the system. Voting has only become more reliable as time goes on, right? As the numbers mm-hmm. get bigger and the bureaucracy gets larger, voting fraud only lessens as time goes on. And I think, sure, you know, here's the thing. I'm not opposed to voter IDs. Just kind of like, okay, you want people to vote, but you want there to be an overhaul of the immigration system. That's the bigger issue. Well, instead of saying everyone needs a voter ID, how about we overhaul the voter ID system? Why don't we simply make having a government ID easy to obtain in terms of time, not background check, but that's what the government does behind the scenes anyway. Yeah, make fix it the easy. DMV. Yeah, make it easy on the citizen and make it free. I mean, you know, it, that's the thing is it's it, it's not that ID costs a huge amount of money, but to a poor person, it is an expense. I mean, there's, I, I, I looked this up that if depending on what state you live in, the combined cost of document fees, travel expenses, and waiting time range between 75 to $175. And to someone who's having trouble keeping their power bill on, that actually matters. And make it free. And it's like, if we can give free, easy to obtain government ID, I'm all for it. But as soon as you put a hurdle between a person and obtaining that ID, well, this is poll taxes. I, I, I just have a question. So at, at what point, what is no longer a hurdle? Because I think that's the thing where people have to draw a line is then driving a car to a polling place a hurdle. And if that's the case, then say the government orders Ubers for everybody, then is having the ability to order that Uber, quote unquote, a hurdle, then you got to give some to that. And then if that's the case, like where where do those, because there, there will always be quote unquote hurdles to doing anything, not just voting. So I, I guess I would wonder where is the line when it comes to quote unquote well, hurdles to vote? There is, but that's why we allow things like absentee ballots. That's why soldiers who are stationed overseas get to vote absentee because everyone can't make it in. There are people who are disabled who can't make it into a polling place. So it's like we, we already acknowledge that these hurdles exist and we work to counteract them. Hurdles to IDs exist. So yeah, let's fix the DMV and let's make getting identification free. Let's make hmm. obtaining your birth certificate free. It's a government document. It's right there. I shouldn't hmm. have to pay $30 for them to fax me a document they already have there scanned and computerized. Especially when all of 50% of my income already goes to the government. Why yeah, the heck can't exactly. that be yeah, no, I'm, I'm with I'm, you on that. I'm paying for it already. <laughs> I have already paid for this. I My taxes have gone to these bureaucracies, have gone to the DMV and the records offices. So as a citizen, I'm sorry. I should have absolute free access to this because I've already paid. In regards to voter fraud, with the absentee ballots, I don't know. Chris, where where do you live? California. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, I'm in California also. Okay, I'm in LA. Um, Oh, nice. I'm in Riverside County. Oh, yeah, you're not far Uh, away. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the the ballot harvesting, and I, I can go into, I don't know if you want me to, go into sure. some personal like ballot harvesting problems that just really, really, really diminish even my own personal belief in the election system in California. Um, people talk about voter fraud, how there's not a ton of voter fraud, and that's fine. I guess that's technically true, but uh, California's Secretary of State, so there's what, 40 million voters, 30 million voters in the state of California. Uh, the Secretary of State's office has two people in the entire state dedicated to tracking down voter 
fraud, which to me seems crazy. And then you throw ballot harvesting in there and there's a lot of like Republicans and Democrats have benefited from ballot harvesting in their own individual way. And I think both sides are effectively cheating when it comes to doing that sort of thing. And I don't want either party doing that. And that's where that's where it comes back down to the if we don't trust the system that's set up, we have nothing. Regardless of who wins, the trust in the system is the only thing that matters. And if we lose that trust, which I have in the state of California because of some of these like rules that you're allowed, you're allowed to do what? That I think is the biggest problem. So like, uh, yeah, when it when it comes to the idea of, well, voter fraud isn't all that prevalent, like, yeah, yeah kind of. Well, voter um, fraud for voter impersonation. Having a driver's license doesn't stop ballot harvesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're talking about having a picture ID. All that stops is voter impersonation. NYU yeah. law did a huge study on this. Since 2000, there have been exactly 31, not even convictions, 31 credible allegations of voter impersonation. That's hmm. over a billion ballots. There's so here's- 31 allegations that have credibility. Mm, yeah, and that's see, not even convictions. The conviction rate's much lower, but we're not going to go with that. We're going to go with no, no. This is something that that someone of any credible stage, a ballot official or an election official, has called into question. Where like, yeah, we do see a duplicate record, or we do see this signature to match. That's a credible allegation. So where I see the issue is that a lot of the Democratic Party and people who are in favor of things like, let's say, ballot harvesting or just ballot pushes, which is where like right now anybody can request an absentee. But what they're trying to push for in a lot of these newer legislation attempts is we just want to en masse send out paper ballots that people can send in. And what they're doing and what becomes fallacious is they say, well, currently, status quo, we don't have evidence of voter fraud. So therefore, we can change how secure the election is and assume that it will not go up. And like Georgia has caught a lot of flack for answering legitimate concerns like what you mentioned, Chris, which was like, well, if you need a voter ID, not everybody can access one, which is true. And we also think that it's going to be true that you need that for security purposes. So like Georgia actually put in that law that they passed that they caught a lot of flack for, the state had to provide a voter ID for free to the citizens. And like, to me, I feel like that answers both, right. And it answers both the issues of what is security and what is accessibility. And it balances the two because we are trying to balance the two there. Uh, Go ahead, Joe Bondo. They also said you can't bring your family water while they're waiting in line. Well, actually, that's 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 not true. Um, Well, the Washington Post actually fact-checked that gave it for Pinocchios, which is important. What you can't do is within 150 feet, the people who are running the campaigns they can't offer them a gift of any kind. And they expanded that to include water and food. What you can do is you can provide water while in line. So as long as they're not within a certain distance and as long as it's not the campaigns providing it, you can bring your own water if you want to. The registrar of voter does. Like the actual voting center can have water stuff. But the electioneering thing, electioneering has been illegal since forever. And it should be because the second you allow anybody to give anything in line, one guy's going to show up with water and then the AOC campaign is going to show up with soda. And then the Trump campaign is going to show up with sandwiches and then the AOC campaign is going to show up with pizza. Like it just like it, I don't think you can have anybody giving anything in line other than like water provided by the voting stations. And I don't have any problem with taxpayers paying for that. Yeah, I, I, I think that would kind of solve it again. I, I would agree with that if, if that's but do we honestly that that's what you're thinking is you think Kemp was sitting there in his office. and He's like, you know what? I'm tired of these Democrats winning vote with their fancy waters. That was not what it was. This was absolutely to discourage people mm. from 
voting in long lines. You think you think, you think Kemp sits up well, at but, night and he goes, "Man, those Democrats are stealing people with their waterways." You think that's what really happened, dude? Come on. Well, no, Let's no, be but, realistic. But they're also you also missed a part in the law that said like uh, if they're if the voting lines are longer than like twenty minutes, there's I, I forget specifically what it is, and maybe we could pull it up. Then the county registrar gets under scrutiny by the state registrar's office. So like the, the with the idea that you can't give anybody else that they anything in line there's also a huge push to not have long lines which again i think is great but yeah but it doesn't solve the problem because we still have the long lines i feel like that comes as a result of what i think you would agree is a good thing there's more people participating in the democratic process of voting yes but like, we need the democratic process to set up more polling places and it's funny and that might be true polling places open longer hours in richer neighborhoods well it might be true that at that point we do need more more places for polling but what these laws are attempting to address is the fact that you can't have lack security and still claim voter security like you you need to balance the two and what they did was they removed a lot of the extra polling places because it wasn't as secure and we didn't have the need post covid yeah they were yeah and they limited the hours seven to seven instead of like 24 7 drop boxes which cannot be staffed by our understaffed you know governmental i mean we could make the argument that they should put more money towards staffing them but what well, you can't do is claim buildings they are staffed but they didn't. These drop boxes aren't, 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 aren't in front of the Quick Mart. They're, but they, they're in front of post offices. But they and, weren't and exclusively in those places, is what I'm saying. Like, they, they removed <clears throat> ones because they had them up all over in the COVID so people could spread During out. During the COVID crisis. Right. Yes. And where I support what Georgia did was if we're not in a, in the same state of emergency with COVID, then we don't have the need to just have 24-7 drop boxes that cannot be staffed 24-7. Why can't we have 24-7 drop boxes that are places where that is already legitimate to staff? Like, why don't we have it on every well, single we, post? office every single dmv every single government building has a drop box but that that's camera and secured but that's not the question that we're answering here you're pointing out a valid issue like we could obviously have more but i'm saying that you can't say that removing unsecured locations when we no longer have a need is the same thing but i think we have a need we don't have a, we don't necessarily have the yeah. same covid need but i'm sorry like this is intended to discourage participation that well, is but, the so, reason so, for it so i'm curious how do you explain the highest voter turnout in the history of the country last No, cycle. Donald Trump. Donald Trump's angry tweets. Everyone got really <laughs> butthurt about him, and that was literally that What's, Donald Trump is the reason why we have such an uh, such a high election. Totally. And so it's kind of difficult then to make the argument that it needs to be easier to vote, right? Why? You, you know you know what they do in most free nations? In most free nations, voting is a holiday. In most free nations, you are registered to vote upon reaching adulthood automatically. Like, we don't have any of this. You want to vote? It's got to be on a weekday during working hours where a lot of people can't take off work. Well, I missed voting several times. I used to be an emergency dispatcher working 12-hour shifts. Guess who had a hard time voting? And that would be hard. And, and what I think is important to note is why that Georgia— is a national holiday? But, and why are we well, discouraging— Georgia, But that's Sorry, that's a distracting argument is really what it is because it's, it's pointing out an issue that we can agree on, but it's not answering the main question. It seems like you're kind of trying to justify, like, oh, we should in mass send out ballots or we should just have places, even if they're staff because we have a need. I'm trying to point out that I believe that these are solutions in search of a problem. Like we're going to talk mm. about voter ID, right? Let's look at some numbers. And I've got these links if you want them. Sure. I mean, this is up to 20, 25% of, of African-American citizens of voting age lack government issued photo ID. 8% of white people have that. I don't care. Okay. 
Texas allows concealed <laughs> weapons permits for voting, but it doesn't allow student ID cards, which are government issued. Yeah, but you have to remember a government issue is not equal. If I'm going to get a concealed carry permit, I am fingerprinted and tracked by the government. If I go to school, that's not the same. So uh, like what, what you're comparing is two different forms of ID and saying because they were issued by a government entity, then they're equal. Actually, they are. Uh, if you go to college, buddy, uh, you are absolutely fingerprinted. Your ID has been verified by that university. It like, goes no, by is... state, though. California, that might be think, true. Texas, yeah. Tennessee, North Dakota, Kentucky, where I've attended school, that's not. Well, and should Texas and Kentucky get their shit together? Like, that sounds like that's a bigger Which... kind of like the immigration <laughs> thing. Like, then why aren't we fixing the problem rather than telling people they shouldn't vote? And what I'm pointing out is, is there's similarities here, okay? If we are discouraging people who have longer working hours, people who are poorer, right? If we're discouraging something that disproportionately affects African-American people. If, I mean, North Carolina had their law that got taken out where public assistance IDs and state employee ID cards, which you want to talk about a verified system, those are held mostly by black voters. Mm. And that was taken down because of that. They said, you can't do that because those are valid IDs. And it's like, we know this. You, UCSD did a huge study showing that voter ID requirements absolutely proved it with statistics lessen turnout by people of color hugely. You know, Hold it's on, like, but that's not because of their color. That's just a, it's just a happenstance of how it works out. That's not, nobody's talking about that works. race. Isn't it interesting how whenever the right way, whenever, again, I don't even say right nah. way, libertarians typically want everyone to vote. Republicans. When the GOP puts through this stuff, isn't it funny how it always happenstance just happens to be demographics that vote Democrat? But you're you're basing no. so the, so the overarching assumption that photo ID or government issue ID in general disproportionately affects minorities is rooted in what is both incorrect and also a racist assumption to say that they have a harder time getting photo ID. What they've it's done there, it, but if the Th that's I, statistics, I don't. But well, you have so to be what careful. What you're effectively saying is what you're effectively saying is us minorities are too dumb to get. Not, yes. uh, to get a free ID. Which, not at all. I don't find that offensive, but I know a lot of people <laughs> who, who do. What I'm saying is that on the numbers, on average, in this country, the more melanin your skin, the less income you have on average. But that's conflating causation yeah, and correlation yeah, because if, I, I, I am not right. saying these voting laws are creating racial disparity. I but your argument, are, are your argument is extrapolated, disparity. though, to then say that that means that they're suppressing minority votes, which is incorrect. So you think that that's what it is, that because there was 30 allegations out of a billion votes that that's yeah. what it was that they were just like no you know even if it maybe discredits certain races or it looks really bad we just got to get to the bottom of this because I just believe in absolute freedom and joy and hugs and kisses well that, that wasn't what I said at all motivated whatsoever what but I said and, and let's take this that. but let's take and I didn't I, I agree no, with you you can't say that can't, this is politically motivated this is to disenfranchise certain voters and I do not but believe how? it's because Abbott was like I don't want black people voting no it's Abbott didn't want Democrats well, let's, voting let's let's Let's, let's zoom power. out then and let's no, why why do you say it's is to target them in that way? Again, because that's what the numbers say. We have statistics that show voter ID laws have a statistical <laughs> significance in discouraging turnout by people of color. No, the and numbers we, say there's a statistical difference between no, significance. Again, I'll show you I'll send you the link right, right. now. USCSD to the math. Right, but I'm saying that you can show a statistically significant difference between groups. That doesn't mean that it is causing them to not. Like you 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 have to be careful how that is contextualized because the statistics statistics aren't saying what you're saying. Uh, but they do prove causation because they analyze before and after effects of simply these voter ID laws. I would like to bring reminder of the fact that the only thing I care about is voter integrity. In my view, I don't understand how we don't just have people go to a voting place of their where they live, show their voting ID, get a ballot, mark that ballot, and then put it into a concealed envelope. To me, that's the best form of not having any voter fraud issues or any questions of voter fraud. And if for some reason those 
very sound rules tend to disproportionately have outcomes that are, I don't know, less Chinese people between the age of 30 and 40 turn out to vote because of that. There's nothing to do with that demographic. It just has specifically to do with the integrity part, in my view. You're not wrong. Like, that thing is, in Joe Bob's scenario here, that's a good solution. But then that requires the government to guarantee free and easy accessible voter ID laws and have massive, easily accessible during non-working hours polling places. And if those are in effect, I'm on board. Ballot harvesting, right? Anybody can turn in anybody's ballot in the state of California, which is crazy to me. But let's just say, hypothetically- I actually agree with you. Okay, cool. Well then, so in terms of voter integrity, in 2020, ballot harvesting was now coming to the forefront. In 2018, it passed in 2017, got signed in law in 2017. 2018, Republicans got smacked because nobody knew about it. And Democrats were going around collecting ballots because we have all of the data on every single voter. And then in 2020, in a presidential election, when Democrats usually turn out way more in force, especially in blue states, Republicans won five congressional seats in California. How? How did that happen? And churches set up drop boxes, right? And I'm not saying this happened, I'm just saying in theory it could happen, which to me is just as bad as it actually happening. Uh, They collect ballots and they have the data, they can cross-reference people's names and say, well, this person is a registered Republican, we're not gonna open the ballot, we're not gonna see, but they're registered Republican, we're gonna put them in this pile. This person is a registered Democrat, we're gonna put it in this pile. They take the Republican ballots, go to the ROV, turn those in, then maybe, because the law says that they have to make a valid attempt, they go to skid row with the Democrat ballots, give some homeless guy a hundred bucks and says, please turn this into the registrar's office. Now, maybe those ballots get there, but also maybe they end up at the bottom of the LA River. That is a scenario that can actually happen in the state of California. And whether or not it does is irrelevant. It's the fact that it could happen diminishes the value of the election system, which back to the beginning point is the only thing that I think actually matters. People have to believe in the system. And if there are conceivable cracks in a lot of different cases, that's a problem on both sides. I don't want Republicans doing that. I don't want Democrats doing that. I don't want independents. I don't want libertarians. I don't want anybody doing that because it diminishes the value of our integrity in our elections. That's my like sole point is like the only thing that matters is the integrity of it. And just regardless of what the outcome is versus proportional races and ages and income levels, like I, I don't care. We just have to believe in the system. Well, that- I, mean, I think that was a whole lot of maybes and hypotheticals for someone who just yeah. lectured me on causational math. But um- if, if it can exist, we like that's it has to be ironclad like i can't sit here as a consultant in california running races in california and be thinking of ways to cheat legally yeah that, that's that, that's, like, that's where you're going to be surprised that i do actually agree with you i don't yeah. believe in ballot harvesting now here's the thing is i think going necessarily to a polling place for disabled people and the ultra elderly no but then we can make accommodations for that that small minority of people can be accommodated but i agree and we've with been you. doing that yeah but having a massive over anybody can turn in any any ballot to anywhere is a problem and i'm again it's not it's actually not a problem but i agree with you there's an easily exploitable potential problem there and i'm fine with it which is why i think the greater system of make voting a national holiday automatically register citizens to vote and make voting id free and easy to obtain and if you do that then i'm on board with your solution i'm into it that's great let's go to polling places that are secured and let's make secured ballots where everyone can feel secure in the vote that they've cast i have one question if we're going to make, and this is just again a hypothetical, if we're going to make election day a national holiday, which other national holiday are we willing to give up? Because I am, <laughs> one thing I'm so against is giving giving the federal freaking government employees another taxpayer funded day, day off. So <laughs> President's Day, Pick okay. It. 
Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I honestly don't I need care. a mattress sale. Let's, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, so, I think that's more let's, important than mattresses. Let's get rid of three other days. And then, None. yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not for giving people an extra holiday off. But yeah. honestly, if, if I were being completely honest, I don't necessarily have a problem, but I don't think that would actually benefit. All of the people that I know who don't vote aren't doing it because they don't have time to. And maybe there are some exceptions to that. But the people that I know who are not exactly the most politically engaged, but will vote when they get around to it, uh, are going to use that federal holiday to go to the beach. So <laughs> I, I don't know. And you can't <laughs> compel somebody to vote so either. I, I do want to go back to that study, Chris. I did look over it. So one of the main issues that I see with this is what they say that they did was they compared states who have voter ID to states that don't. And then they compared the minority turnout in both of those states. And they also compared whether or not they had strict ID. And they said that in states with voter ID, you have lower minority turnout. What that minority doesn't- turnout per capita though. because doesn't, but that doesn't demonstrate that they w- had a lower turnout because of voter ID, and that's why you can't claim causation. No, and, and that's I, what I, I was trying not, to say earlier. Yeah, and, and I would agree. This one study of this does not show causation. What I'm saying is that every time we have a study, it shows the same thing. It shows that voter impersonation is so low, it's almost non-existent. It happens less than lottery and lightning strikes do. It happens. I'm not going to say Well, that. voter voter impersonation at the polls, and and my concern is not at the polls. My my concern with security is like with with the mass push out that's of ballots. That's where voter ID comes into. So if we're right. going to talk about the mass ballot harvesting like Joe Bob's talking about, that's where I'm far more in line with you. Guys. Right, right, right. And I, I believe, I, I'm agreeing with you. We need right. to have secure elections. Voter IDs don't accomplish that. And, they and, may in the future, but they that's not the problem right now. And we focus on it, and it's the focus is to disenfranchise voters. I mean, when Kemp purged his rolls in, in Georgia, it was 560,000 people who got flagged because they'd skipped too many elections. And again, APM did an investigation. 65% of the people who were purged who re-registered did it in the same county. They just happened to have not shown up for the last two elections. There's two sides of that because California doesn't purge their voter rolls. And I may know somebody very close to me whose grandma passed away several years ago. And maybe her husband, who is still alive, continues to vote for her in the state of California. Again, that is a bad, like, you have to purge voter rolls to so an extent. you're purging voter rolls based on death records, not on whether or not you've well, participated lately? Because that's not how civil rights work. That's, yeah, that's another, that's another another uh, fix the bureaucratic system because the death Agreed. records don't don't uh, don't coordinate with the ROV and don't court like there's so yeah. many and they variables in the system itself that need problems and with that I probably be like yeah like we should purge my main point is responsible purging of voter rolls does need to happen yes, okay. I, yes. I'm I'm not opposed to having people have to register every single time to at least say hey I still live here and and all that can be is like a simple click on a box on a website but again I, I can be argued to have that as a longer duration but main thing is responsible purging does need to happen. And yeah. I don't know that the Georgia purging, if you don't show up for two elections, is all that irresponsible. I, I think don't, it's very irresponsible. You don't lose your civil rights because you haven't used them lately. Well, you, 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 you don't lose them. You just re-register. Yeah. You don't lose them. And, and that comes down to what is your personal responsibility? Because if you show up and you don't know whether or not you're registered, to me, that's on you. Because you, you could absolutely check online. It's not like I have to stand through a line for seven hours to show up and find out that I didn't register. Okay, if I'm not on the Lives alone isn't internet savvy. Say that again. An 80 year old who lives alone is not internet and computer well, savvy. Well, there's plenty of ways around that then. They could ask an absentee ballot. They could have their kids do it. Why, like you're showing a single example. People. Like, why don't we, why, why don't we just make sure dead people don't vote? But that's, I, I'm agreeing with that. I think that's great. Let's make 
should let's purge voter rolls responsibly. And purging people who haven't been here lately is not a responsible method, especially this is the governor. He has access to who's paying taxes, who hasn't filed for, un- for unemployment, who's <laughs> who has a gas bill, who has left <laughs> the <laughs> county. Like they know this shit. It's like again, just like Joe Bob was saying, how about we fix some shit Do you, to yeah. <laughs> Do you think the uh that office is competent enough to uh put those pieces together? My answer would be no. no I don't know if there, there's any government not entity competent that's- enough to keep their own records and they're not competent enough to purge voter polls i don't know i i see again like I, i'm i'm of the opinion of like i don't care if you have to re-register for a primary and then re-register again for the general a couple months later that's that's just i and, and i'm also probably jaded by way too many of these ballots getting sent out to old dead people I ran a race in 2018 and this guy went to a an abandoned Starbucks location in like Malibu and 146 ballots got sent there. That's a problem. And maybe that's what that sort of stuff and seeing that sort of stuff a lot pushes my idea to do just re-register every single time and make it easy to do so. Like get an email or a letter or something like that. But yeah, the purging the voter rolls, I've seen so many problems with that. I'm like, I, I might tend to be a little bit extreme on like, make sure people are still living in the same place, all that sort of. And maybe you're right. Maybe the, uh, the, idea yeah, the that the government should... extreme. I think you have legitimate gripes, but I'm saying let's solve those gripes. I think they're good ones, and I think they're problems that need solving, but purging voter rolls randomly does not solve those problems. Let's actually mm-hmm. fix those things because you, you you make good points. There are broken-ass things in our voting system. Let's fix the broken things. Let's stop dead people from voting. And yeah, let's purge voter rolls, but let's purge voter rolls in a non-partisan way and not of, I don't like these people who haven't been here for two elections. Fuck them. Like, no, that's a bad way to purge <laughs> Voter rolls. Is there? I'm sorry. I, I just. I, I know you're good. You're good. Man. Chris, I'm actually curious. Is there a system in which you can tell, uh, you can cross-reference the ROV registered voters with who got purged? Because I'd actually be curious to see that data. Because if uh, no, they uh, only the way purged- the APM found it was again, and in, in they had to only go by who took the time, like you said, to re-register. That was the only way to find the data. So it's not even indicative of everyone. What they found was 65% of the people purged under the user lose it who re-registered did in the same county so they hadn't even moved that in, was in all like we a, know. In a court of law, you got to prove somebody did do something, not prove it didn't happen. So I would, Correct. I actually, if they did prove that, well, Kemp just purged Democrats or like 90% of the people that he purged were Democrats, uh, I'd be like, yeah, that that is a freaking problem that yeah. I don't want to see happen. But in, until that's like nailed down, and I don't know that it can be. Uh, I don't think it can be either. Yeah, well, I don't know. But I don't know. Again, the point is, it was a completely ridiculous voter purge. Again, let's purge yeah. responsibly. Let's purge smartly. Let's create a system that actually unifies these numbers of who has died, who has moved. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to do. Yeah, I can and agree to that. It's a it's a lack of will. I, I can. I think, again, what we need to be careful about is just saying that it is racially motivated or it is based off of party. I'm saying Brian Kemp is party motivated. That's the thing. Is it, like, which it, is, I don't trust these it actors. It could be. You, you think Abbott and Kemp are really interested in the integrity of bipartisan votership. They're not. And you know they're not. And that's where I'm coming from. But it's you like, also have to remember it. It wasn't Abbott and Kemp. Who's, it was, it was their Nancy state Pelosi congressional. Is interested in fairness? No. Well, I don't <laughs> think that on an individual level. They probably don't. But here's the thing, though. It was passed by the Georgia Senate. It, it wasn't just an executive order. It was actually a law that was passed. So it wasn't even them. So by you'd... the heavy Republican Georgia Senate. Well, sure. With well, two Democratic senators. Right. Yeah. Absolutely like... stilted in favor of... 
<laughs> of yeah, Republicans. So we have a Republican governor passing a draconian measure through a Republican. Mm-hmm. I, say, I don't think it's draconian. And say, oh, this isn't party. <laughs> yeah. Again, this isn't party. It's like this is absolutely. And again, that's. I don't think they woke up and they were like, hmm, let's make sure these this color people can't vote. No, they wanted to make sure that either Democrats go or at least maybe maybe secure cheap political points. But this was party motivated. This was the Republicans and Democrats <laughs> continuing their pissing match. Well, do we have any mm-hmm. any last responses to this before we go on and everybody gets their final say in our hot takes? Other than I think at the very, very basis of it, obviously we're going to argue over details all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the system freaking is out of whack. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if we can solidify the system, then we can actually have nuanced conversations about the details. Uh, but the, the bottom line is that if the system is crazy, and, and we didn't even talk, like, well, in this context of voter ID, we didn't even consider the illegal immigration voting system, the crimp, like, there's so many different variables that the system lets slip by. So if there's uh, one common denominator there, it seems like, uh, yeah, hey, let's fix the freaking system. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll be right back with our hot takes. And we never actually go anywhere, but this originally was airing on like a local radio station. (laughs) And so we just had it in there and, you know, nostalgia. So I just kept it. (laughs) I like it. All right. So this is where we get our... Well, I won't have a chance to respond to anybody's thoughts. Uh, All right. So my first hot take is I'm really happy that we were able to find so much common ground and still have enough nuance to have a great debate and discussion over this. This was fun. Uh, I think my big takeaway from this is that the federal government and the state governments are all sorts of messed up. They make this more difficult than it needs to be on everything, whether it's it's voting uh, or whether it's immigration. Like, it's, it's just overly complicated. However, my second hot take is going to be that I think that we need to be careful when we're claiming that something is racially motivated or party motivated. Again, going back to that study, if they wanted to say that these are obstacles and are causing lower turnout, then they need to account for not just a comparison of, ah, a state with more voter ID had lower turnout per capita minority than one that didn't. They would actually need to go state by state and say, did those who didn't have a state-issued voter ID as a person of a specific race then have a harder time voting? And they don't account for that. So to me, the study is garbage, especially since most of the words in there are, we think, we infer, we're just double checking these things like they don't actually report what they're doing. So I I have an issue when we're going to go through and claim that state laws trying to shore up security automatically means that they're racist or racially motivated or in particular the buzzword lately has been suppressing the vote. Lines are not suppressing the vote. Like I agree with Chris that we can have more slots up. We could make it so that lines are shorter. But I also disagree when we're starting to say that that means that we're suppressing votes. So I really think that we need to be careful with how we use that language. And that'll be my last hot take. I think if you don't want people to think you're shoplifting, uh, you probably shouldn't walk through a store with a trench coat full of bulging pockets. And I think if you don't want people to think you have racially motivated draconian voting laws, then you should ensure that they're not affecting people on a racial bias, or at least those numbers can't be conflated. And you're Right. 100%. It does not automatically ensure anything. What I find are unreliable actors creating things that maybe coalesce, but it's very suspicious. And if you're an elected official overseeing elections, it's your job to not look suspicious. And both sides of that, that includes ballot farming, and that also includes these voter ID laws. And I think it is on, the onus is on the representative to make sure they look clean while doing it. And it doesn't take a whole lot of steps to ensure that you can't conflate racism with this, because 
voting in America is historically incredibly race motivated. We've only had non-racialized elections for less than a century. So that wound is still fresh. And I think it is the onus is on elected representatives to make sure their voting laws represent everybody and they're and, and they can show that this is clean rather than just having us hope. And I think this is all a system of a bad two party system that neither party actually cares about the American voter. Yeah. Is this my turn? Do I do a hot take? Am I, is, my, yes. is my take currently warm? <laughs> it has um, to be hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I think uh, I, I would agree. There are definitely different things that we can do to overhaul the election. Uh, as far as like, you know, race goes, I'm of the mind. I wish Americans would just stop talking about race uh, to a large extent. Obviously not. It's never going to be muted entirely. But just because something has a different outcome, I don't think means that it was intended that way. But at the same time, like I I don't have a problem with opening up new rules or uh, uh, having different strategies get put into place so long as we maintain the integrity of the election. Now, my personal belief is integrity like needs to get clamped down super tight. And then that also doesn't help with the political drivers. When Joe Biden said that the new Georgia laws are Jim Crow on steroids, I thought that was like one of the worst things a president has ever said. Jim Crow was terrible. Like black people got lynched and beaten in the streets for the of voting. Uh, and to say that having a voter ID is like that, but way worse, isn't going to help the conversation that may actually need to be had. And so from a political standpoint, I think uh, we've got some bigger fish to fry. And, and ultimately, what it comes down to is we need to have we need to have faith in the elections. And if, if we don't, we are freaking screwed. And this is a both sides issue. And unfortunately, it, for the next foreseeable future, it, it would appear that whoever loses is going to claim that the election was unfair, which is not a good place to be as a country. So that that is why I'm advocating for as clamped down uh, integrity voting laws as as humanly possible. Well, thank you both for for coming. Before we go, uh, Chris, where can they find the Alt Left podcast if they want to listen to some of your less discussion based with diverse ideas? In the darkest corners of Soviet Russia. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you the, the again the best place to find us again is on Twitter at the Alt Left Pod. Our link tree is there, but yeah, you can find us on Podbean. You can find us on Spotify. We even have a YouTube channel. You can just you can just Google the Alt Left Podcast. You'll find it almost anywhere. Even on Facebook, but we're probably going to take that down because Facebook's but uh, the best place to find us is to hit up our Twitter at the Alt Left Pod, and you'll see all of our links and all of our goodies there. Okay. And Joe Bob, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram is probably the best thing. Okay. Uh, I like to post on Instagram at J O B O B Joe Bob. That's pretty much it. Um, also, the Daily Caller live show is live every morning. I know. I know there are people that have. Uh, well, Daily Caller is founded by Tucker Carlson, and people have some varying opinions on Tucker. Uh, know that the only thing we try to do on that show is be fair. Obviously, have a point of view, but there's no sense in making unfair arguments. In, at least in my opinion, on my show. But yeah, you can find me there. Uh, we, I, I love having open discussions. Chris, like, I really, really appreciate coming on here and, and talking things out. There are so many instances where I'm put in positions in front of people that vehemently disagree. And the first thing they say is, well, you're a white supremacist. I'm like, okay, I'm a brown white supremacist. Great. Now, now we have no, we, we, there's, where do we go from there? Because you've, you've, you've gone to 100 and now we can't talk. So I really, really appreciate coming on. 
Uh, Ryan, thanks for hosting this thing and, and having a forum to talk about things because like I said at the very beginning, I think most Americans agree on a lot of things and I would like to be able to debate the nuances as opposed to you're a white supremacist and you're a communist. Like, sorry, I, I wasn't. <laughs> 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 but no, I, you know what I mean? You, but like, you don't want to like, yeah, because yeah, at that point, all conversation is stunted and that I think is the biggest problem. It's not who wins elections necessarily. It's the culture of the United States not being able to get along with their neighbor uh, and talk about about things in a coherent way. So and appreciate is what the two-party system wants. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. You can find us uh, between the liars on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. Follow our social media to stay updated. We'll try to bring you more great guests and great discussion like this. Uh, thank you, Chris and Joe Bob, for your contributions and the great discussion. We will absolutely have you back on in the new future. Uh, goodbye for now. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>